Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we're going to give attention to what we confess in Lord's Day 21 about the doctrine of the church. And in connection with that, I'll read with you Psalm 48. In Psalm 48, you'll recognize the psalmist praising the beauty of Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And we know as New Testament Christians that the church today is the New Testament temple of God, the place where the Lord dwells. Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic. They took to flight, trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shatter the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Let us read together our confession, Lord's Day 21. You find that on page 535 of our Book of Praise. This afternoon, I'm going to focus particularly on the first question and answer of this Lord's Day. We'll read together Lord's Day 21. Here we confess, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I'll have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. 
Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 48 is, is a very exuberant psalm, isn't it? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. It's a psalm full of, full of rejoicing and full of praise to the Lord. And the reason, the reason for the praise that's given in the psalm is because the psalmist looks closely at Jerusalem, Zion, the, the city of God. He sees its beauty, but particularly he also sees its security. And that's the emphasis on the psalm, how God's city is, is safe and secure. Now, this afternoon, we're going to give attention to Lord's Day 21 and to the doctrine of the church. And we do understand that in the New Testament, after our Lord Jesus has ascended into heaven and on the day of Pentecost poured out His Spirit upon His church, that the Spirit does not dwell particularly in Jerusalem, in the temple, but that the church spread around the world is God's temple. And so the things that we read in this psalm about Jerusalem, about the city of, of Mount Zion, those things apply to the church of God today, to us, God's people. Do you praise God for His church often? Do you, do you look around at the church and also recognize that it's, that it's beautiful, that it's secure, strong? Are you, are you excited about what the Lord is doing in His church around the world, on the mission field? But also, are you excited about the, what the Lord is doing here in Mundajong, in His church? It's the purpose of understanding doctrine is to, to lead us to also lead us to worship and to praise. When we understand doctrine correctly, it leads us to a life of worship and to an attitude of praise and worship to God. And so I bring to you God's word with a theme, praise the Lord, his church is secure forever. Praise the Lord, his church is secure forever. In the book of Numbers, we read about three men named Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and they led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron's leadership in the wilderness. With them were some 250 men, leaders of the people of Israel, and they say to Moses, you've gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So these men wanted to be priests and did not accept that the Lord had revealed that Aaron and his family, or and his sons, were to be the priests. In Numbers chapter 16, we read that the earth swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families. They went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished. But that's not quite the end of the story for these men. In Numbers chapter 26, verse 11, we read a census, and we read in that census that the, the children of Korah, the sons of Korah, didn't die. They didn't get swallowed up. 
Later on in the book of Chronicles, the, the sons of Korah turn up as being temple servants. And the title of Psalm 48 lists it as a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, this psalm clearly was written after the construction of the temple, so it's, it's written centuries later, after the time of Moses and, and this whole rebellion in the desert. But what a, what a testament to the grace of God, that, that these men who are associated with the name of Korah, sons of Korah, who rebelled against God, now are inspired by the Holy Spirit to, re, to write this beautiful hymn of praise for the Lord's work in Jerusalem. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. So these sons of Korah, they're excited about Jerusalem. You can imagine the the pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, seeing the the beauty of their capital city, and having their their hearts filled with with joy and, and pride for what it was. Even today, in our society, nations like to invest in their capital cities. If you were to travel to to Canberra, you'd see museums, government buildings, our Supreme Court, war memorials, parks, natural beauty. A capital city is often designed to reflect the, the values and aspirations of the nation. When they approach the city of Jerusalem, they they see it built on a high mountain with high walls. They they could see the the temple, which was a beautiful building, a building full of of gold and and precious objects. They could see that building glistening there in the the Mediterranean sun. And so the, the pilgrims, they're impressed by their capital city. They say it's beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Now, if you were to consider the ancient city of Jerusalem objectively, as as an ancient historian, you would say, actually, the city of Jerusalem, it's really not that big compared to a lot of other ancient capital cities. Jonah goes to Nineveh, city that, you know, is three days' journey. In the ancient world, we historians tell us about the, the hanging gardens of, of Babylon. Also, Jerusalem is built indeed on a mountain, but there are other mountains in the area that were bigger than Mount Zion. It's not that it was you know, the highest mountain in the area. As you might think, well, perhaps the, the, the exuberance which, which the sons of Korah have for Mount Zion Maybe it's some mere sentimentality or national pride in, in their capital that they, that they say it's the joy of the whole earth. It's, it's so beautiful. And yet, as you read through the psalm, you quickly realize that, that their exuberance is not based on mere sentimentality or national pride. No, the, the key thing that makes Jerusalem special, that makes it different than, than any other city, is the fact that it's the city of the great king, that it's the place where the Lord dwells. 
That's what makes it different than, than any other city. It's the city of our God. Within our citadels, God has made Himself known as a fortress. The, the temple was there in Jerusalem. That's where God's people would come to sacrifice, where God's people would come to worship. They would hear God's Word. They would sing His praises. And that's what made Jerusalem safe and secure. The Lord was their fortress. And so in no other ancient city, Nineveh, Babylon, Susa, no no other ancient city can boast of having the Lord dwell within it. Security is so important in the ancient world because people relied on cities for safety in the event of of an enemy army coming to attack them. So if you lived kind of in the the surrounding countryside around Jerusalem, uh, an enemy army comes to attack the country, and everybody, they they pack up and they go right away to Jerusalem behind the walls. And you're you're safe behind the walls, and you could could fire down arrows on the, the enemies surrounding the wall. A city was a refuge, a fortress, a safe place. The sons of Korah in the psalm envision that kind of scenario. They envision not just one king, but but multiple kings. They say in verse 4, For behold, the kings assembled, they came together. So they envision a a coalition of forces coming to surround and and attack Jerusalem. Now, that that can be a very dangerous situation, even if you made it into the city, because if an enemy army is surrounding your city, you can't get in, you can't get out. And so there's the danger that after, after a period of time, you run out of food. And then the populace, the inhabitants begin to starve and in the end have to surrender. The sons of Korah envision that kind of scenario, but it doesn't happen. It says, For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together, As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. These these kings are filled with dread. Now, why were they so afraid? Why were they so afraid? Well, that response is nothing short of miraculous, really. What makes them panic, what makes them astounded, is that this is the Lord's city. They say they're in trembling like a woman giving birth to a child. They're in agony. Now, this is more, of a, more than a, a hypothetical situation as well. We know from reading through the book of Kings that this sort of thing did happen. For example, the Assyrian army came against the city of Jerusalem during the reign of King Hezekiah. And 2 Kings 19 records how Sennacherib came and surrounded the city and mocked Hezekiah and mocked the Lord and call the people to surrender, to give up. And you know what happens. So, well, Hezekiah prays to the Lord, and then in one night, the angel of the Lord puts to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp, and they have to withdraw and go home. So God's people knew if God's on our side, then they don't need to be afraid. They can do... God can, can do anything. 
He can control the seas. He can control the waves. He can control the weather. The psalmist says, by the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. These large trading ships could become like so so many boats in a bathtub before the Lord. The Lord could blow away all their enemies. What are these these small armies in comparison to the Lord? So, brothers and sisters, are you beginning to to capture just why the sons of Korah are so enthused or so enraptured with the city of Zion? Why they say, great is the Lord greatly to be praised in the city of our God. The Lord is a fortress. The Lord establishes it forever. Now, brothers and sisters, these truths haven't changed for us today either. No, instead, God's plan, God's plan has expanded. Our Lord Jesus is the great King, and He reigns on the throne of heaven. And the temple in the the earthly city of Jerusalem is no longer there. But instead, the the temple is in God's church spread all around the world. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church, and, and God dwells among us. And so, this is the the place where God is, the place that is secure. Notice how our confession in Lord's Day 21 reflects the same emphasis as the sons of Korah. What, what is significant about the church, what is special about the church is that, in the first place, it is the work of the Son of God. And so we confess, what do you believe about the, concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to the end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself. So that's what's special about the church, that this is the work of the Son of God, that he's the one who's gathering it, that he's the one who's preserving and protecting it. So the church is made up of people. God uses you as as people in his church, as his instruments, to, to be busy supporting, encouraging, building up his church here in Mundajong. But in the end, it's, it's Christ's church. We're, we're too weak to have ultimate responsibility for Christ's church, for something that important. Christ gathers his church through his spirit and word. And we see that happening in the book of Acts, how the Lord sends his apostles out to preach the gospel. And, and everywhere they go preaching at the gospel, there, there's always a response. There's those who, who are angry and who don't want to hear it, who are offended. But there are others who are convicted of their sins. They believe the truth. And so it is that the apostles, they, they plant churches all around the Mediterranean. The church spreads all over the world. The apostles warn the, the church that they also would go through difficult times, that they'd go through many tribulations and suffer persecutions. 
And when in the New Testament we read through the letters to the various churches, you find that sort of thing happening. So the letter to the Galatians, you read about this, this, this doctrinal controversy that was going on there, but you had these false teachers that were, that were seeking to lead the, the Galatian Christians away from the truth into this, this legalism, self-righteousness. Similarly, the church of Corinth, for example, we, we find that it's, it's got these internal problems of division, of people who are really arrogant and, and proud and who are causing all sorts, of, all sorts of issues in the church of Corinth. There was, there was immorality, personal ambition. To the Romans, the apostle writes, uh, actually, we have a, a war going on inside our hearts. That there's this, this conflict going on in our own hearts between the, the desire to do what's right, but also our, our sinful desires, those sinful desires that we still have. And so when you think of the, the city of Jerusalem and armies coming to attack the city, you have to recognize that also Christ's church today face threats. And those, are, those are threats that come from the inside because of our sinful nature, because of the, the temptations and sins that we have but also, also threats that come from the outside, living in a society like we do. It's something we experience in Australian society as well. Our, our society has become a, a less welcoming, a less hospitable place for Christianity. Even over the last, you might say, 15 to 20 years, many of the, the teachings of Scripture, which for, for generations have been understood as, as being obvious, Many of Scripture's teachings on, on sexuality, on family, on, on gender. Many of these teachings are considered offensive. And so, what is true for Jerusalem is true for you, that, that, there, is, that there is threats around you as well. Satan would seek to break up this church, to scatter you as a flock, so you each go your own separate ways. He would seek to destroy this church. The sons of Korah describe how the enemies, they, they gather together, a coalition assembles against Jerusalem. But they also say it doesn't happen. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's not because the, the people of Jerusalem are, are such magnificent people. No, it's because the Lord dwells there. The church is secure because the Lord is the fortress as we have heard, so have we seen. If you, if you study church history again and again, you see that. You see how the Lord is preserving His church in an, in an amazing way. How the Lord looks after His people. How the Lord continues to gather His church from every different nation, tribe, and tongue. In the Old Testament, the Lord worked through the family of Abraham, the Old Testament people of Israel. But today, the church is made up of of people from every different nation. And so in Papua New Guinea, there's those churches which are gathering to worship the Lord in a jungle. In an apartment in China, there's churches which are gathering. In Indonesia, in the Philippines, in Africa, in North America. In some places, God's people are severely persecuted for their faith. A nation like Islam, or sorry, a nation like Iran, dominated by Islam. North Korea, places where it's, it's a criminal offense to evangelize 
And yet the church continues to persevere and be preserved. And so nothing can stop Christ's church-gathering work. Not here, not anywhere. His word and spirit are powerful to convict and to convert a hardened sinner. Brothers and sisters, isn't, isn't that something to get excited about? Isn't that something really to be enthused about? The church is special because it is Christ's church. He is the one who looks after it. He is the one who preserves it. He, he's working here among you. I was speaking to a man once who, who asked me, oh, what, do you, what do you do for a job? What do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian minister. He said, oh, I'm a Christian too. I said, oh, great. I said, well, what, what church are you going to? I said, oh, I, I, I don't go to church. Uh, I used to go to church, but, but I, it's not for me. I, I believe in Jesus, but I, I, I don't do church. Um, so you sort of probe a little bit. Well, you know, why not? And, well, things happened. Things happened in the church that, that disappoint or that, that hurt. And so then you withdraw and say, no, thank you. And that can happen, brothers and sisters. It can happen that as someone is really invested in a community and then maybe get, get criticized, even criticized unfairly. It can happen that, that somebody is really involved in the community, but then they, they happen to see the, the sins and, and weaknesses of other people and, and are really offended by that and shocked by that. Say, what, what is this? Sometimes the church doesn't act. The people of the church don't act as, as they ought to. We're, we're sinners. And these things can lead a person to becoming discouraged. Maybe you've also been at a point in your life where you look at the church and, and you see a lot of weaknesses. The better you get to know people, the, the more weaknesses you'll, you'll know about them, actually. So you could say, to extend the metaphor, you, you see the city of Jerusalem and you see it as a place with lots of graffiti and potholes and, and broken buildings and garbage on the streets. And you say, is, is the city really that beautiful? What do, you, what do you do with that? How do you process that? Well, then we need to be looking at the most important citizen of the city. Verse 9 of Psalm 48. He says, they say, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. So the sons of Korah are describing how they go to the temple, and while they're there, they think about the steadfast love of the Lord. The word think here is a little bit weak. It has a, the idea of ponder or, or meditate. They're, they're really thinking deeply about and pondering about the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, how might that work? You go to the temple in Jerusalem. What do you see in the temple? You see sacrifices happening. And the message of those sacrifices was that that, that sheep there on the altar, that should be you. That, that dead animal that's burning on the altar, that actually is what really you deserve to have happen to you. 
that you deserve to die. But God's making a way for, for someone else to die instead of you. And so you, you ponder on that. You think about that. And you see the, the steadfast love of the Lord. That despite the fact that I'm a sinner, that if God were to treat me as I deserve, I, I would have to be pushed away from Him and ignored by Him. I, I would need his, his wrath on me. The things that I've said, that I've thought, that I've done, don't make me worthy of His love. They make me worthy of His judgment. But instead, instead God has made a way out, a way for forgiveness. The Lord has sent His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. All those sacrifices in the temple, they, they pictured what Christ would do on the cross. How He died for us while we are still sinners. God is righteous. He's, he's perfectly fair. But He's treated us so much better than we deserve. I'm often proud and ungrateful and selfish. But God loves me in a way that's reliable and steadfast. And so they say, we, we ponder the steadfast love of the Lord. How God has shown such love in forgiving sinners. And that's, that's what's proclaimed in the church. And so in Lord's Day 21, we also confess, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? What, what do you believe about that? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I'll have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Do you notice the, just how personal that confession is? It's not just saying Christ forgives sins. No, it's saying Christ forgives my sins. And not only that, he's, he's forgiving this sinful nature, which I'm every day fighting against and every day struggling against. It's not like I've got things all together. No, I, I still have a sinful nature that, I, that I'm fighting against. That's the, the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, when that truth sinks into our hearts, well, then we begin to see why the church really is beautiful. Because we look around and we see sinners, to be sure. We see people who, in so many ways, are not as they should be. They don't, they don't act always like they should. They don't talk like they should. But we know that these are people for whom Christ died. These are people who have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ that there's, that there's full forgiveness for them. These are people that, that the Holy Spirit is, is working in to, to transform and change so that more and more they live in a different way, that they deny themselves, that they, they fight against their sin, and, and they make progress in living for God's glory. Is, isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that a beautiful thing to, to think about and to see? To see sinners who, who are received by, by God in grace. To see sinners who are, are being transformed in a way that, that is amazing. 
that, that only the, the power of God can explain? Isn't it, isn't it beautiful to see the community of saints, to see Christians really caring for each other and caring about each other and, and using their gifts to, to help and support in a, in a selfless way their brothers and sisters, to give, to give of themselves in a way that, that helps somebody else? Isn't that an amazing thing to see? And so, brothers and sisters, Sunday after Sunday, we come to church, and we hear about, we see the steadfast love of the Lord, God's love that is reliable for you, that love that has shown itself in Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for you. And so, brothers and sisters, that, that protects us from our pride and from our ambition, it protects us that, from thinking that, that this thing that we call church, that it's really what we've accomplished, that it depends upon us. Though God does call you to serve in his church, absolutely. God calls you to use your gifts. But it's God who does the heavy lifting. It's God who, who works change by his word and spirit. And so your minister, Reverend Paul, brings the gospel to you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But it's God who's going to work through that gospel to change the Christians here in Mundajong to be a different sort of people, people who love the Lord, love each other. Your elders and deacons, they visit you in your home to, to teach you, to encourage you, to give you biblical leadership. But they also can't change you. They can't change your heart. No, but God works through their biblical teaching to grow you and change you. That's, that's humbling. It's also very liberating and encouraging, because this is, is God's work. You see, when we miss that, when we focus on, our own, on ourselves, well, then it, then it gets very discouraging, doesn't it? Because then you're going to look around, you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of sin. You're going to see a lot of weakness. Then we'll always be critical and judgmental of God's people. And then it wouldn't make sense to sing a song like Psalm 48 about how beautiful Christ's church is. Instead, we need to see what God is doing and how he makes his church beautiful and secure. You see, when a person pulls back and they say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but look, I'm, I'm not really that interested in being so involved in Christ's church. I believe in Jesus, but I'm, but I'm going to keep God's people at a bit of an arm's length. I believe in Jesus, but I'm, but I'm not willing to use my gifts to, to help or serve Christ's church. That's only going to make it worse. Because God works through His Spirit and Word. And that's what's, that's what's proclaimed in church. It's in church that we, that we ponder on His steadfast love. When we hear it through the Word. When we, when we see it in the sacraments. God's steadfast love declared to you. You see how patient God has been, how gracious He is, and how powerful His work is among His people. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Don't you want to share that joy? Don't you want to be part of that, that gladness? Don't you want to celebrate God's work and see what He's doing? The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in the city of Corinth. The Apostle Paul knows these people well. He also knows some things that are going on there in the church of Corinth which really were not good. 
And if you read through the letter, you come across things like, like sexual immorality. You come across doctrinal aber- aberrations. There's this discipline that's not happening like, like it should be happening. And the apostle knows all these things about the, the people of Corinth. And yet, and yet he opens his letter to them in this amazing way. He says, I thank God. He says, chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you catch just that the attitude of thankfulness that the apostle has for the church of Corinth? Oh, he, he knows what they're like. He knows their, their weaknesses. But he says he's so thankful because of what God is doing. He says you're, you're not lacking any gift. It's not that, that God hasn't given you something that you need. No, God is, is working and he will work till the end. And so he's so thankful. And so, brothers and sisters, it ought to be clear in the way in which we talk about Christ's church as well, that we are thankful for what God is doing here. And so let me plead with you, brothers and sisters, to be careful about the way in which you talk about this church, particularly how the next generation, your, your kids, hear you talk about the church, how your grandkids hear you talk about the church, is it clear that you love God's people? Is it clear that you are able to see what God is doing here? When things that happen in the church that, that need to be addressed, things that are going that are, that are wrong and, and need to be dealt with, we can deal with them without, without losing that perspective, not, not gaining this, this tunnel vision where we, we can only see our, our issue that we're dealing with. We read about Abiram and Dathan and, and Korah who rebelled against Moses, and they and their, their families were swallowed up. Well, maybe you grew up in such a home as well. Maybe you grew up in a home where all the talk about the church was typically, was typically negative, where there's very little joy and, and thankfulness for what God was doing, where, where the shortcomings of the elders were, were talked about at lunch, where the weaknesses of the sermon was heavily discussed, where there's little thanks for, for God's work among his people. Brothers and sisters, if that was the sort of home you grew up in, then join the sons of Korah and being different than their father. The sons of Korah say, open your eyes, look, really look. Verse 12, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels. They're saying, look around, look, look carefully at this city. Look, look at the very aspects of this city. Now, each of these items that, that, that they list in this verse refer to the security, the safety of the city. They're confident that nothing will be able to destroy 
the city. It doesn't matter what challenges we face, God will establish his church forever. The church is the safest place in the world. In fact, it's the only safe place in the world where God is, where his word guides us. Christ keeps it safe. Now, you might wonder about that. Is the church really safe? The the sons of Korah say that God establishes her forever. Maybe you say, well, I, I know there are churches or actually places where there used to be churches where there is churches no longer. So maybe if you go on holidays in Europe, you might be able to tour these, these grand cathedrals. And you can walk through a grand cathedral and, and marvel at the, at the architecture of this beautiful building. But if you were to turn up there Sunday morning, there might be nobody there. No, no actual church in that building. And, and that happens in, in places around the world where you have all these, these beautiful buildings, but where there's no genuine trust or, or faith in the Lord any longer. So what does that mean? What does it mean about Christ establishing his church forever? Well, that's, that's a promise, isn't it? And like all God's promises, it needs to be received with faith. And so when a church rejects the gospel, when a church no longer holds on to the word of God, then it can no longer claim that promise. Churches that do not trust in Christ, that do not believe his word, that do not submit to his lordship, can no longer claim his protection. Think of the churches in the book of Revelation, some of which the Lord Jesus says that, I'm going to remove my my lampstand from you. So yes, then, then a church is not safe. If one doesn't repent from their sins and trust in Christ, then we're exposed to the judgment of God. Outside of Christ, there's, there's no salvation. There's no safety. But when we confess our sins and when we trust in Christ, then we're safe, not by our strength, but then we're safe by His strength. And so our catechism concludes, it says, I believe that I am and forever shall remain, forever shall remain, a living member of it. That's incredible confidence. I believe that I'm a member of Christ's church, and forever I'm going to remain a member of his church. So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you today, will you praise God for the beauty of his church? Will you also sing with exuberance about how glorious God's work is before you today? After this sermon, I'm going to ask you to sing from Psalm 48. Would you do that with all your heart? Would you praise the Lord for his work? Are you thankful for what God is doing in the Free Reformed Church of Mandajong? Do you, do you tell that to the next generation, to your kids? Do they know that from you? The wondrous works of the Lord. We live in a society which is becoming hostile to the gospel. And we know that we're weak too, but we're not afraid. We're hopeful and we're confident for the future. 
because we have so much to look forward to. We have the Lord in our midst. He's, he's our fortress, and when we call for help to Him, He helps. He answers the cries of His people. He will guide us to the end. And that's where the sons of Korah finish in this psalm. They say, this is, this, this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And so the day will come when you'll see the bride of Christ, the church, prepared as a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband, that the new Jerusalem will, will come down out of, out of heaven, and then the city will be perfect. We will be perfect. There'll be no stains, no imperfections, no disappointments, no sadness, no sin, but joy and gladness. So great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Amen.